Well, uh, one thing I've just decided uh, after that Q&A and all the questions that you guys have sent in is I am going to do a live Q&A for some of my talks where we can just answer their questions and know that we're dealing with stuff that you're dealing with. So uh, I start about 10 of the questions that came in. We've had well over 30 come in, and I would have loved to have answered all of them. And we'll try to answer some of them in the podcast that we're recording on Tuesday, so be sure and look for that. If you've been here through the whole series, I hope that it has been helpful to you. I know we haven't answered all your questions, but even participating with us in the one-day event this Saturday will help bring a lot of this together for some of you. I can tell by the questions you've been asking. If you're just getting back into church after your summer break and you're like, you've missed the whole thing, then uh, let me just bring you up to date on what we've learned and what we've said about making peace in our relationships. So our series big idea has been this. When our relationships are good, nothing else has to be. But when they're bad, almost nothing else can be. And that's because our happiness is directly tied to our relationships. Happiness isn't so much about what you have as it is about who you are with. But when relationships go badly, it's normal to blame the other person that we're in conflict with for ruining our own happiness. Sometimes we do that even if we don't realize that's what we're doing. So how do we make peace when you and I get caught up in this cycle of blaming the other person. Well, to make peace, obviously, the cycle of blame has to stop. And to help us stop blaming the other person that we're in conflict with, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul's three-step process for making peace. Now, step one that we covered in the first week is to change your perspective about your own situation by focusing on all that's good in your life. Instead of um, fixating on the person that you're in conflict with, you've got to look at what's good in your life. With perspective, what that enables you to do is it enables you to frame the conflict. It helps you to understand the conflict that you're in so that you can figure out how to solve it. If you really can't understand it and go to the root of it, you're going to have a very hard time knowing what to do about it. Then step two is to change your perspective, but this time it's about the person that you're in conflict with by giving them credit for what's good about them. And I can just tell you, I told you on week two, this is the hardest part of the process to do. And I can tell from the questions that you're asking tonight, to be able to forgive the other person or to even make a list of what's good about them is a very hard thing to do. Naturally, it's hard because we think we're right and they're wrong. But without taking this step, it's almost impossible to forgive. And if you can't forgive, really forgive. You can't make peace. Now, when we put these first two steps together, they kind of lead us to an important question that we surfaced last week. And that is, if your life is pretty good, that's step one. That is, when you step back and you look 
at your own life and you make a list about all that's good in your life and you realize, you know, even though I'm in this conflict, my life has still got a lot in it that's good. That's step one. So if your life is pretty good and the person you're in conflict with is pretty good, and that's where most of you are thinking, Witty, if I thought he or she was pretty good, I wouldn't be in conflict with them. That's not true. Because people that we're in conflict with, oftentimes, even though they're wrong in this situation, there's a lot about them that's right. And so if you make the list of what's good about the other person, and you realize, you know, they're pretty good, and my life is pretty good, then we have to ask the question, why are you in conflict? Is it possible that the problem also partially rests with you? Could it be that you're not at peace, so it's hard for you to make peace? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. And so let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, I pray that uh, especially tonight, today, in this third part of uh, our series, I pray that you would help us uh, get our own emotions under control. Lord, from reading the questions that were texted in, this is where so many of us are struggling. And so I pray today that you would help us figure this out, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We all, several years back, I was sitting at a stoplight, lost in my own private phantom conversation. You know, those are the conversations where you're talking to someone that you're in conflict with, but the person isn't there. I was in my truck, all alone, and I was having a pretty harsh conversation with the person who wasn't there. Fortunately, in the middle of my rant, Sanity took over for a split second, and I realized what was happening. My emotions were out of control, and I was saying things that I didn't believe should be said to anyone. Even if I was right, I have to admit that I was wrong. And right then, I knew that something in me had to change. Some of you, I think, know what I'm talking about. You've had these kinds of explosive interactions, maybe with your spouse or with another family member or a colleague at work, or maybe with someone that you hardly know, but they rubbed you the wrong way on the wrong day. We explode when we demand to see the manager or when we roll down the window of our car and shout at the guy, uh, who just cut us off, or when we comment on something on social media. And it's impossible when we're like this, it's impossible to feel kind when you feel this emotion. It doesn't matter who you are, what role you have, or how others expect you to act. Sometimes these emotional explosions surprise us. We know something is wrong, but we may not know what it is or why, we're so angry, which means we're going to continue to repeat this kind of damaging behavior if we don't figure ourselves out. And you may well be right to get angry. 
What the other person did may be completely wrong, and they may be at fault. It might even be understandable that you'd react badly, but it doesn't mean that it's helpful. You know, medical research has consistently shown that poor emotional health affects our physical health. It encourages bad habits related to sleep, exercise, food, alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. Y'all, these are researched facts. Unforgiveness is unhealthy. Now, is this what you and I want? Well, heck no, of course not. We want to be happy. We want relationships that work and that are successful. We want relationships that lead you and me to a better story. We want peace. But I want to ask the question again. Can we make peace if we haven't experienced peace. If your emotions are out of control, is it even possible to go down this road? Well, that's the question I want to answer today, and it's the third step for making peace in relationships. Now, the Apostle Paul told you and me how we can personally experience peace when we're in a conflict, and this is what he said. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, when I read something like this, the first question I want to ask is, did Paul live in the real world? I mean, when he says, don't be anxious about anything, did he know about cancer or losing a job or taxes or debt or divorce or parenting, the real issues of life? I mean, did he literally mean not to be anxious about anything? I mean, to be honest, that seems impossible to do. So why did Paul tell us to do it? Well, in terms of our relationships, anxiety fuels the conflict because it makes us want to talk badly about the other person. But that's one of the most damaging things that you and I can do when we're in relational conflict. And there are reasons. When we're in conflict, it's hard to think clearly. It's easy to lose perspective and to exaggerate. And although what you're saying, you may be speaking the facts, it's easy to say them in a way that leaves the wrong impression. In fact, when you're in a conflict that makes you anxious, that's the worst possible time to talk. But, of course, that's exactly when we want to talk. Because we hope that talking will help us feel better. I mean, we all get this. And Paul got it too. So he went on to tell us how to deal with our emotional anxiety. And this is what he said. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. That includes all the situations you just texted to me. In every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul simply said, I know when you're anxious, you have to talk. But talk to God first before you talk 
to anyone else. Talking to God is the third step to making peace. It's simple, but it's so important, and here's why. When you're in conflict, others typically can sense it, especially your friends. So a friend says, hey, how's it, go how's it going? And you say, eh, it's okay. Well, they know it's not okay, right? I mean, they're a friend, and they want to help, so they probe, and they say, come on, dude, what's up? Then we have our ticket to say whatever we want because they asked, right? And it'd be rude not to answer. <laughs> but when we have unhealthy, critical conversations about the person we're in conflict with, you know what happens to the conflict? It spreads like a fire. That person that just asked you gets sucked in to the conflict. And this divides families and colleagues and friends. No one is immune to it. It's like a fire raging out of control. It just devours everything around it. Not good, yet very normal. But it continues the cycle of blame. And when that happens, it makes it impossible to make peace. So what do we do about it? Well, if you're normal and you're in conflict, you're already talking to others, aren't you? Yeah, yes, Pastor Witty. Yes, I am in violation of the third step already. I get it. I've violated it plenty of times myself. But here's what you and I have to do. We have to stop talking to others and start talking to God. And I mean that, as simple as it sounds. Stop talking to others and start talking to God. Take the third step and do it like my math teacher used to say, immediately, if not sooner. You didn't get that. Some of you are thinking, okay, I'm in, Witty. I mean, like, I get it. I think I'm open to this idea of praying, but I'm not sure I know how to pray. Let me just tell you, you do. Prayer is talking to God, and it's as simple as talking to anyone else. You don't have to use big words. You don't have to be a theologian or a pastor. You just have to be desperate enough to do it. You have to believe that God hears your prayer and that he will actually respond when you pray. Now, in the formal sense, the word prayer means to address God. But practically, it means this. Tell him what's in your heart and mind. Text him what you just texted me, right? If you need to rant, rant. He can take it. And the best thing about prayer, he'll keep it confidential, right? <laughs> He's not like those other friends. Oh, you can tell me. I won't tell anyone. And then they tell everyone, right? God isn't going to do that. Not only that, but Paul said, if you have a request about the conflict, present your request to God. But there is a condition that he laid on that. Paul said, temper your ranting and your requests with thanksgiving. Did you notice that in the verse? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Y'all, that is step one. That's what we talked about. Because when we 
When we're thankful, then it gives us perspective on the matter. And perspective helps you and me pray intelligently. The bottom line is this. Whatever you do, talk to God before you talk to anyone else. Well, why is this so crucial to do? Because it's the key to stopping the cycle of blame. Look at what Paul said in the next verse. He said, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this word transcends means to take authority over or to surpass. When we pray, God's peace surpasses our anxiety. The real anxiety that you feel, Paul says, when we pray, God's peace transcends or it it surpasses that anxiety. In other words, it calms us down. It cools us off. It douses the fire of our raging emotions. And this changes the way we talk about the other person. It's crucial, and Paul tells us why. When we pray, God's peace, he said, guards our hearts and minds. Now, this word guard is a very significant word for the entire three-step process that Paul was laying out. So we're going to spend a few minutes on it. I want to explain it to you so that you understand it very well. So just hang with me here for a couple of minutes. For us, the word guard almost always means to keep something out, right? Like keeping intruders out of your house. But that isn't what it meant here. Paul used this word also in 2 Corinthians 11.32 when he said, in Damascus, the governor was guarding the city with a garrison desiring to arrest me. Paul was talking about himself. So guarding has something to do with arresting. These are both words that we know. So let's just put the story together. The story behind this verse helps us understand what these two words have to do with each other. Paul was referring back to a time before he was a Christ follower when he traveled from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest all the followers of Jesus there. But on the way, he had a vision of Jesus, and he too became a Christ follower. Well, three days later, Paul began to publicly proclaim in the city of Damascus that Jesus was the Savior. Well, this confounded the Jewish leaders in Damascus because Paul had done a major reversal on them. He came to arrest Christians, and now he was one. And this naturally made them mad. They felt betrayed by Paul. So they got the governor to agree to guard the city gates of Damascus so that if Paul tried to leave, they could arrest him and prevent him from escaping. So imagine the city of Damascus with walls around it and gates on, all, on four sides of it. And, and the governor put soldiers there to guard the gates. And if Paul tried to get out of the city of Damascus, they would arrest him. All right, you got the picture in your mind? Okay, in the same way, Paul said in terms of our relationships, when we pray, God's peace functions like those soldiers guarding the gates of Damascus. 
God's peace guards our hearts and minds so that when we want to talk badly, bad words about the other person, our words are arrested before they can escape and do damage. So what does that mean in everyday terms? When you pray and God's peace surpasses your anxiety, you're less likely to address your spouse with derogatory names. You're less likely to deride your child and break their spirit. You bite your tongue and save your job. You refuse to slander your friends, even if everyone else is. People aren't afraid of your sharp tongue. You avoid posting something on social media that you later regret. When you and I pray about the conflict we're we're in, at some point, our anxiety goes away. And when that happens, God's peace arrests the damaging words before they escape our mouths. Then, and only then, does the cycle of blame stop. And that's when peace is possible. We can make peace because we've experienced. Y'all, that's what I needed that day at the stoplight when I was on my rant. And it's what most of us need. And let me tell you why. Because making peace requires two people. We don't have any guarantee that we can resolve all our conflicts. Many of you sent me texts today, and that is what I would say to you. You don't have a guarantee that you can make peace. You can't be guaranteed that if you stay in that marriage and forgive, that the person will do the right thing. You can't make peace between two other people because you're not a part of that equation. They have to make peace with each other. And since we don't have guarantees that we can resolve all of our conflicts, it may mean That even if you can't make peace, you can be at peace yourself. And that may be the best you get. But even that is pretty good. Because listen to this. If you're at peace, then you can handle the conflict. Some of you guys asked me about the political uh, cycle and the elections coming up. And you're just not at peace. It's even dividing your households. Listen, you can't make peace with the candidate because it takes two to make peace. They don't know you exist. They don't care about making peace with you, whichever side of the aisle you're on. But you can be at peace with this whole situation because our history is longer than four to eight years. And it is going to carry on. And y'all, the country may not go the way you think it should go. But that is why we have an advantage as believers. Because if everything goes wrong, we have eternity. If You might not be able to win your, your son or daughter back. 
They may screw their lives up completely, but if they're believers, even if they do, we still have eternity. And because we know this, we can be at peace. And so here's what I'm asking you to do tonight. I'm asking you to talk to God first about the person you're in conflict with. And so here's what I want to do. I want to guide us in a brief prayer time right now. just want to start on that. I can't promise you that during this prayer time that God's peace will surpass your anxiety in just a few minutes because some of you have been in conflict a long time and the divide is deep, but we need to make a start. And so if you're willing to start toward peace, then I want you to participate with me right now. And so if you would, if you're willing, just bow your head with me. And I want to I ask you just to pray three prayers. And I'm going to pray with you. The first is this. Take the first step by acknowledging what is good in your life. And thank God for it. Lord, you know that when we are in conflict, it's hard to gain perspective. Lord, some of these conflicts are so big, they're right in our face and they take over all of our emotions and all of our thoughts. And right now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us to think of the things that are still good in our lives and to realize that those are gifts from you, from a loving God who personally cares about us. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen in our families. We don't know what's going to happen in our country. We don't know what's going to happen around the world, but we know what's going to happen in eternity. And so I pray that you would give us that kind of perspective, the things that are good. As we continue to pray, I want you to take the second step, maybe the hardest one, by giving credit to the person you're in conflict with for what's good about them. Lord, you know deep at the core of these conflicts who's right and who's wrong. Most likely we're both right and we're both wrong at some level. But Lord, I pray for us now that you would enable us to see some things that are good about the person we're in conflict with. And I pray that based on that, that it would lay a a basis and a foundation for working things out with that person. And Lord, even if we can't make peace with them, still we can appreciate what's good about them. And Lord, I pray for us that this would become our habit and our way of dealing with other people because we know that the standard we use against them is the standard you're going to use against us when you judge us. If we show mercy, you'll show mercy to us. If we show no mercy, you'll show no mercy to us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take that seriously as a fundamental part of how to relate to other people. And now I want us to pray for the third step, to ask God to overwhelm us with his peace so that we no longer feel the need to blame the other person. Lord, there's no way I can know the details of everyone's conflict here. But I pray that you would help them to understand their conflict. 
And Lord, I pray that as they work beyond what we can do right now with the perspective of their own life, step one and step two, what's good about the other person, I, p- I pray that with those two pieces in place, that you would do what only you can do, and that is that you would overwhelm our anxiety with your peace. Lord, I ask you to do that for some right now and for some as they do the hard work of really working through this process. But Lord, I pray that we would experience peace ourselves because then there's a chance that we can make peace. Do this for us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We all want to remind you about our extra resources. You can get those at city.church slash make peace. Take advantage of those. Also, if you would, uh, if it'd be helpful to you, I hope you'll join me this Saturday for our one-day event. Sign up at the Burgundy Pavilion outside. Our prayer team will be here. So prayer team, if you'd come on, uh, let us pray with you today about your relationships, however we can serve you in that week way. Uh, next week, Dave's going to be back with us, and he's starting a new series called Slammed. And next week, he's talking about when you and God disagree. So I hope we'll see you here. Thank you for being a part of the series. Y'all have a great week.